as we finish up this idea of principles for 2020 and having our spiritual attention. Because sometimes, and I think a lot of times, God tries to get our attention in a lot of different ways. Sometimes it's very subtle. Sometimes it's a big, bold thing that he does. Um, and what we're going to find out is God almost demands first place in our life. Uh, it's one of those things that's just kind of expected. And uh, we want to kind of look at that. So if you would, read with me. Matthew 17, verses 1 through 8. It says this. It says, After six days, Jesus took with him Peter, James, and John, the brother James, and led them up a high mountain by themselves. There he was transfigured before them. His face shone like the sun, and his clothes became as white as the light. Just then he appeared before them with Moses and Elijah, talking with Jesus. Peter said to Jesus, Lord, it is good for us to be here. If you wish, I will put up three shelters, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. While he was still speaking, a bright cloud enveloped them, and a voice from the cloud said, This is my son, whom I love. With him I am well pleased. Listen to him. When the disciples heard this, they fell face down to the ground, terrified. But Jesus came and touched them. Get up, he said. Don't be afraid. When they looked up, they saw no one except Jesus. Here in Matthew 17, we have God trying to get Peter, James, and John's attention. And I think he does. I think he does a pretty good job. And it's fairly obvious that this was the reason Jesus brought them to this mountain, that he brought them to this place. A lot of times, Jesus would take his men uh, to alongside uh, maybe the sea or maybe up a mountain or across the lake to be alone with them just to have that time with them, teaching them a prayer or time to be just a little bit different for them to get away from everybody. But no sooner had they got to this pinnacle on this mountain when Jesus turns around and his his entire appearance changes. I mean, just everything changes. His face, it says, shines like the sun. His garments became as white as the light. And if that wasn't enough, all of a sudden, two men show up with Jesus, and we're not told how the disciples recognized who they were, but suddenly these three guys recognized this is Moses and Elijah standing with Jesus. And now, understandably, the disciples are excited. I mean, this is kind of cool for them. Moses and Elijah standing with Jesus. And notice what Peter says to Jesus in verse 4. He says, Lord, it is good for us to be here. If you wish, I will put up three shelters, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. And then suddenly, this cloud descends on them and surrounds them. And in verse 5, it says this powerful voice speaks from the cloud. It says, this is my son whom I love. With him, I'm well pleased. Then he says, listen to him. So at that moment when this voice comes booming down, all the excitement that these three men had at one second all of a sudden turns into trembling and fear, and they fall face down onto the ground. In verse 7, it says, Jesus said, get up. He touches them and said, get up. Don't be afraid. Then when they looked up, it was just Jesus once again. Yeah, God was trying to get their attention. And he did a pretty good job at it. He was wanting to get within them this idea and this excitement and something to be in their lives that they would never forget, and I don't believe they did. There's three things in this passage that I want you to see. The first one is this. 
God wanted to get Peter, James, and John's attention. At this moment, he really did. But I also believe in today's age and with all the busyness, with all the, the communications that we have with our phones, with our computers, with our TVs and all those things, I think God is even trying even harder to get our attention a little bit more every day. But can you imagine how dramatic this experience must have been for them? Because God designed this encounter for them to be something that they would never forget and they didn't. You see, long after Jesus had been raised from the dead, this scene, this whole moment is burned into their minds. I mean, this is something they will never, ever forget. And John might be referring to this event of, Je of seeing Jesus transfigured when he wrote the following. He says, this is the message we have heard from him and declared to you. God is light. In him there is no darkness. Because when he saw the light shine and when Jesus' clothes turned as white on those things, and Peter writes in 2 Peter, We were eyewitnesses of his majesty. For we received honor and glory from God the Father when the voice came to him from the majestic glory saying, This is my son whom I love and I am well pleased. We ourselves heard his voice that came from heaven when we were with him on that sacred mountain. You see, God wanted to get their attention and he got it. And God has always put this high priority on getting our attention. In fact, in Isaiah 28, 23, he tells us people, listen and hear my voice. Pay attention and hear what I say. Even in Deuteronomy 7, 12, he tells Israel, if you pay attention to these laws and are careful to follow them, then the Lord your God will keep his covenant of love with you. Did you catch that? If you pay attention. God is always trying to get our attention. God is always trying to draw what our thoughts and our minds and our actions are closer to Him. But the question is, why should we pay attention to God? Why is it so important? Well, I think one reason we're Christians, and that's kind of what we're supposed to do. But also, Deuteronomy 7.12 says, God has this covenant of love for us that He wants to give us the full measure of his blessing in our lives. Why? Because he cares for us. I mean, that's why we need to pay attention to it. But the only way we're going to be sure of getting those blessings is if we pay attention, follow his commands, and the desires that he has for our lives. What he wants from us. Jeremiah 29 and 11 says, God declares, I know the plans I have for you, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, Plans to give you hope and a future. Those are his plans for us. And he has laid those plans out for us. So the question then becomes, do I want God's plan for my future or would I rather do it myself? Do I want God's plans or am I going to keep doing it the way I want to do it? There's a story of a young mom and a son went into this little grocery store to get some groceries. And as they were checking out, the little boy was staring at the candy bin. As he was standing, staring at the candy bin, the owner said, Go ahead, reach in there and get your handful of candy. It's all good. Little boy just stands there staring at the candy bin. Mom kind of looks down at him, kind of wondering why he's not taking candy. The man that said, Go ahead, it's okay. Take a handful of candy. No problem. Little boy just stands there. Finally, the man reaches in, grabs a big handful of candy, and gives it to the little boy. Puts it in his pockets, and they walk out. Mom goes, Why didn't you reach in and get... The candy, when the man said it was okay, little boy looked at mom and says, his hands are bigger. 
smart little boy. Smart little boy. You see, the choice we have in this life is this. Do we want God's plan for our lives or do we want our plans instead? It's our choice. We get to choose. Is it God's plans or is it our plans? Remember, God's hands are bigger. His plans are bigger. And God wants the best for us. The second thing I saw in the story of Jesus on the mountain was this. It's possible to focus on the wrong things in life. Okay? One preacher said we can suffer from spiritual form of ADD, attention deficit disorder. You see, this spiritual ADD was reflected in Peter's comment in verse 4. I mean, Peter says, Lord, it is good for us to be here. True statement. I mean, I would have loved to have been in that position to see Jesus transfigured and see these two men with him. How awesome that would have been. But then he says this, if you wish, I will give you three shelters. I'll put up three shelters, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. Now follow me here. Moses represented the law, Old Testament law. Elijah was a symbol of the Old Testament prophets. And Peter, being Peter, misunderstood the message God wanted him to see. He wanted to put Jesus on the same level as these two great men. He said, I'll put up three tents, one for you, one for Moses, one for Elijah. Same level. And God said, no, 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 Peter, you're missing the idea. You see, God wants our attention, but too often we get distracted by other things. And it's easy for us to do. I get that. But we don't want to miss the message. But then the clouds descends, it says, and God makes his intentions clear. God says, guys, this is my son. Remember what he says? Listen to him. In other words, Peter, pay attention for crying out loud. You're missing what I'm trying to get, where I want you to be, where I want you to go, what I want you to have. And he says, don't confuse these men. They're great. They did awesome work, but they're not Jesus. Jesus has a bigger plan. You see, Peter was focusing on the good things. Nothing wrong with what Peter wanted to do, really. He was trying to be nice. I'm going to put a shelter up for the three men that need shelter. There's nothing wrong with that, but there was something better. Moses and Elijah were important men who represented the greatest revolution that God had ever given to man up to that point. But as important as Moses and Elijah were, it paired, paled in comparison to Jesus and what he was going to do. You remember, Moses' face didn't shine like the sun. Elijah's garments weren't as white as snow. It was Jesus that shone with a light and glory, not them. My point is this, and I want you to get this. It's easy to get distracted by good things in this life and miss the best that God wants in our lives. It's easy to do. I mean, Peter, I mean, great guy, did a lot of great stuff, messed up a lot, but God said, keep going, keep doing it. And even in this point, he still did. Too many times we get caught up with an idea. Even churches get, I think, miss, miss the point a lot of times because we get this new theme or we get this new idea and we're all in and we do this church growth thing and we're all about doing what it is, but we forget a lot of times in doing those programs that other churches are doing that we fail to show people Jesus. 
because we're all about filling the pews, which I'm not against that. But if we fill the pews, but we don't show people Jesus, we miss the point. So many times churches, preachers, elders, deacons, members have this hobby horse doctrine that consumes almost all their teaching and in the dust they leave people behind because they don't see Jesus because we're so busy. You see, if we do church and we sing and we preach, we do Sunday school, youth groups, and fail to show people Jesus, we have to rethink what we're doing. You know, if, if we can't show people Jesus in our lives, we need to rethink it and what's really important. I mean, how many would say that you would kind of like to keep your job? I didn't ask if you liked your job, okay? You kind of want to keep your job, right? Um, even a lot of times it's possible to have a job, and we think it's so important that you allow it to keep you away from church, and when that happens, we have a problem. Now, I understand. There's jobs where it requires us to be at work on Sundays, firefighters, uh, policemen, nurses, you know, hospital workers, factory workers. You know, sometimes that's required. I'm not talking about that. Okay, I've been there, done that. I understand that. I think God does too. But sometimes we allow our job to be so consuming that I can skip church to have that little extra, you know, and we forget to do that. When that happens, we have a problem. It's like sports. It's possible to like sports so much that it keeps us away from church. And again, when that happens, we have a problem. It's not good when that happens. You see, in the days of the early church, a lot of times when they had church, it was in the evening because these men didn't get Sundays off. They had to work in the evenings on Sunday. It was the only time they could go to church. Even Acts 27 says that Paul preached well past midnight because that's when the people gathered for church was on Sunday evening when they could. You see, if you can't make it to Sunday morning worship, do we make plans on coming to Wednesday night just to have that fellowship to get together and to learn together? Or do we just say, eh, I miss church. I'll make it next week. It's all good. Yeah, I think we got to kind of think about what we're doing. Ever thought about having worship in your home? where you and your family can get together and partake of communion together? If you don't, you have to ask yourself the question, is my job, is sports, is life more important than my time with Jesus? I mean, I think I've told you before when we've been down in Florida and we went to Disney one year and Sunday morning rolled around and we couldn't get to a church, so we had Captain Crunch and Kool-Aid for communion. You know, people say that's a little bit crazy, but not really. We took time as a family in our hotel room to have communion and devotions before we went about our day. Now, I'm not trying to say that to make me more spiritual, to say, you know, look at me. I'm not saying that. You may not have the right stuff, but you can still do it. Jesus said this in Matthew 10, 37. Anyone who loves his father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. Anyone who loves his son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. I mean, do you consider your family as important? Yeah, me too. Absolutely. But if my family, if our family distracts us from our responsibility to God, again, we have a problem. Mark 8, 36 said this. Jesus said, What good is it for a man to gain the whole world, yet forfeit his soul? You see, we can have all kinds of important things in our life. 
But if those important things that we consider crowd out Jesus, or if you're tempted to build little tents like Peter did, one for your job, one for your family, one for your recreation, another one of equal value to Jesus, then you've got a problem. If Jesus doesn't rise above all those things, our focus is not right. You see, God expects to have first place in our lives and understand nothing else will do. God wants first place. So what I learned from this passage are these things. Number one, God wants our attention. Second, yeah, we suffer from spiritual ADD a lot of times. And the third thing I noticed about this story in Matthew 17 is God has one central focus. Okay? God has one central focus. God said in verse 5 of Matthew 17, This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. Listen to me. And it occurred to me, as I looked at this passage over, that Peter, James, and John had been in church for a long, long time. And now the Mount of Transfiguration seems to have taken place towards the end of Jesus' ministry. And so his disciples have been worshiping with him, get this, with him for about three years now. So do you realize it's possible to go to church all of our life and still not listen to Jesus? And still not truly see him for who he really is? I mean, these two guys that happened to him. I mean, they were actually walking with Jesus, listening to Jesus, sitting at Jesus' feet, watching him do these miracles, listening to his teachings and all those things, and they still missed an important event in their life because they thought of the good things, not the better things. They put Jesus on the same plane as these two men, and it's possible to do. I've seen it. I've seen it done. I've seen people. My grandfather had the perfect attendance pins for years and years and years, where he never missed a Sunday at church. You know, I've seen that. We can have the attendance bands. We can be involved in various committees and activities in the congregation. We can teach Sunday school. We can be elders. We can be deacons. We can be preachers. We can do all these things and yet miss the important aspect of our lives. Yeah, we go through the routine. We go through and we do all the right things. We try to say all the right things at church. But then when we leave these doors and we get back into the world and we go back to our jobs, a lot of times what happens, we go from being godly people right back to worldly people. And instead of saying the right things, we don't care what we say, how we say it. And people don't see Jesus in us. Yes, they love their church and we love our church, but we never seem to really listen to Jesus goes back to what I said last week. Are you doing this for Jesus or with Jesus? Folks, it makes a difference. There was one church over in Illinois when I first got there, and you've heard me say this before, every board meeting, every elder meeting, in their discussions and arguments, they would always say, what do the bylaws say? I mean, the first six months, I heard that so many times. They get into these big discussions, and those discussions turn into arguments, and somebody that walk out, you know, get mad and walk out. Because they'd always say, what do the bylaws say? After six months, you know what I did? Took my Bible, bam, on the table. I said, what if we look at what the Bible says? I took the bylaws and tore them up. I just tore them up. I said, now it's time to say what you mean to say, and let's move on. 
have other friends that are, you know, and I'm not saying anything bad about the Masonic temples and all those things. Uh, did a funeral Tuesday and had the Masonic rites, and I, I for, had forgotten all the references they make to heaven and eternal life and all those things, but the sad thing was this guy never went to church. I don't know if he put it into practice. And you see, I don't know if these people, churches or lodges and all those other things really don't look at Jesus and listen to Jesus the way we should on purpose, but it does happen. And I think this is what God wants us to understand. One guy I remember would always say, because State Farm National Headquarters was in Bloomington, he was the chairman of the board at one time, he would always say, well, at State Farm we would handle it this way. We're not at State Farm, dude. You know, hate to say it, as great as State Farm is, we're not at State Farm. So we have to remember we have all this information about God. We have all this information about heaven. We have all this information about eternal life and never put it into practice. What good is it really? And like I said, I'm not sure these people meant to cut out Jesus, but they did anyway because they had stopped listening to Jesus. They had stopped listening to what he desired. You see, I want to listen to Jesus. I don't just want to go through the routine of going to church, fulfilling my religious obligations, earn my paycheck, and go home. We want to actually pay attention to what he wants of us. But how do I do and how do I know what he is saying? Can I tell you something? It's all right here. It's right here. And what we have to do is start reading it. And not only read it, we have to listen to it. We have to listen to what God's word wants to say. That's why it's called the word of God. See, none of us are above needing to be involved with God in this way. I mean, you think Jesus wouldn't have needed to go to church. I mean, he was Jesus after all. He was the son of God. But do you know where he was every Sabbath day? He was in the synagogue or he was in the temple. You remember where he was at age 12? He was in the temple asking questions. If it was needful for Jesus to do this, how could we possibly assume we don't need it? That it's not important for us. Andy Stanley, who said, the direction you go will determine the, des the destination you arrive at. So if I want to arrive at pleasing God, I should be very careful about the paths I choose in my life. I'm going to close with this, with one last point. I like what someone said. They said, hindsight is twenty twenty. If that's true, what I need to do is visualize myself at that destination I want to be at with God and look back to where I am now. Then I can see clearly the path I need to focus on in order to arrive at my goal. So the last thing in your outline is this. We need to pay attention to God, which will lead us in our direction of life, which will lead us to our ultimate destination, heaven. Picture where we need to be, want to be with God. You see, that's the kind of ADD we need to have in our lives. Proverbs 4, 25 through 27 advises us this way. It says, let our eyes look straight ahead. It says, fix our gaze directly before you. Make level paths for your feet and take only ways that are firm. Do not swerve to the right or to the left. Keep your foot from evil. Look straight ahead. Know the path we're on. And even says, keep the firm path. Don't sway to the right. Don't sway to the left. 
Remember what the New Testament says? That path is narrow. There is one gate. And Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. There's no other way to God except through him. So as we've seen this invitation hymn this morning, the question that we have to ask ourselves is what path are we on? You know, where, where are we right here, right now, on this day of 2020? Where do we stand with God? And I know some of us are going to say, well, I've been baptized. I've done all those things. I go to church every Sunday, la-da-da-da-da. But are we listening to him? Are we really doing what he asked us and called us to do?